back to the Red Reporter podcast. Thanks to my uh, incredibly awful ability to actually understand technology and record podcasts. This is uh, uh, take two on trying to record this dang thing. Um, it's December 3rd. It's the day after the, the Major League Baseball non-tender deadline. And um, while we were all sitting around waiting to find out what was going to happen to Jonathan VR and uh, the likes of um, Domingo Santana and other guys that were kind of fringe candidates to get non-tendered, Kevin Gosman and Jose Peraza on the Reds' end, um, the Reds just kind of casually went out and signed Mike Moustakas for us four years and $64 million, making him the largest free agent signing in their team history. Um, the timing of it was interesting. Uh, the fact that there were really zero rumors whatsoever connected to him uh, before the signing was very, very interesting. And the fact that uh, the Reds really hadn't been connected to anybody at second base, so to speak, uh, in the process of them chasing free agents this winter, um, all kind of made it one of those things where we said, oh, that's a big surprise. But the more you kind of break it down and look at it, the more you can understand some of the reasons why they might have done so. So um, here to break it down, uh, we've got uh, first over at Indianapolis, Derek Grimes. Grimey, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing well. I, I said it on the other one, bad, but I'm here because I'm dedicated to the Reds and Red Reporter. So <laughs> well, thanks for toughing this one out. Uh, sorry you got to uh, uh, catch every single cold and germ from all of the kids over Thanksgiving break, but uh, tis the season. So, um, Also joining us up in uh, the Great White North, we have uh, Aaron Michael. Uh, what's going on, man? How, how cold is it up there for you? It's a bit chilly. Uh, today it was over freezing, so, you know, it's like a nice balmy summer day, but <laughs> got plenty of snow on the ground and Yesterday, my facial hair was all frozen up walking to work. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's uh, that's what you get for uh, December in, in, in Minnesota. So, um, thank you guys for joining me. I'm glad we've got some actual tangible stuff to talk about with the Reds, and not just speculative stuff because it seems like there's been plenty of speculation regarding them so far this winter. Um, they've connected to the likes of Didi Gregorius. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, who obviously didn't sign with them. Um, the Zach Wheeler rumors continue to fly about. But uh, Mike Moustakis, four years, $64 million. A guy who um, has started 40 career games at second base. Uh, but the Reds seem intent on not just making him their second baseman of now, but also making him the second baseman for the foreseeable future. Uh, at 31 years old, guaranteeing $64 million. Bucks. Um, it's a, It's an interesting move. It's one that... Uh, the the deeper into some of the numbers I dig, the more I begin to, to kind of come to, to, to grips with. Um, I think it's probably slightly a little bit of an overpay, maybe one year more than they would have liked to do. But the fact remains, uh, it seems like it's one of those moves that the Reds did what they had to do to make sure they got him for 2020, which is the year that they seem dedicated to to trying to make a push towards the playoffs. So um, I guess just your initial thoughts and reactions on um, the the concept of the signing, the signing itself, and how he fits in with the Reds. Um, Aaron, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. I'll try to redouble my efforts from what I said the first time. Um with that, I, you know, I woke, you know, I saw it that evening, and it wasn't, it was surprising to me just because Mike Moustakas wasn't a name that any of us was really looking at. 
yeah. was the biggest thing. And, you know, he's a third baseman, but he played second base, and that's when everybody was making fun of the Brewers because they were just tossing people at second base and just saying it didn't matter. Um, the guy's a two- to three-war player. He's probably not valued correctly due to the offensive output and the way they're they're valuing it now. I think they're I think they've toggled that based on league averages that have really lowered the way that us as fans look at that value, which I'm sure major league baseball teams aren't looking at it the exact same way because runs are still runs, regardless of a lot of people are scoring. Um, in the end of it, I mean, he fills that need. He's, I mean, when we were off the air there for that brief moment, me and Grimey were talking about the fact that we just added what possibly 30 dingers to, <clears throat> to the offense that weren't there last year. You know, second base was a massive hole. This guy's going to go there and play it. We'll probably hide his defense using shifts and that kind of stuff in case he doesn't have that range that you think he's going to have that a second baseman would typically have. It plays interesting things in the lineup going forward based on what they do. It's an overpay, but who, you know, who really gives a shit about what the payroll is in 2024? Yeah, exactly. I think the payroll is an important point. And uh, in my rant that I was going on when I, I dropped you guys and didn't realize it, I was pointing out, you know, $60 million to, to guarantee for a second baseman for next year seems a little steep on paper. Uh, but you start looking at what the Reds paid just last year. You know, they paid Scooter Jeanette right at $10 million to be their second baseman. Obviously, that didn't happen because of the injury in spring training. They paid Derek Dietrich $2 million. They paid Jose Peraza $2.75 million. Uh, they picked up Freddie Galvis midseason. He played a lot of second base. They probably paid him about a million and a half to two million bucks to play over there as well. So uh, you start looking at the total outlay for guys that they used at second base last year. It's about $16 million. bucks. Um, so it's not necessarily even that much of a, a spending uh, 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 splurge uh, for one position when you factor in exactly how much they spent there last year. Um, obviously, it's condensing it more into one particular player, and that it involves more inherent risk. Um, but it's also a guy who's got a pretty good track record. He hit 38 home runs for Kansas City a couple years ago in a ballpark that – Nobody hit 38 home runs in before, uh, and that was before the ball even was more juiced and or streamlined, whatever you want to call it, uh, than it has been the last two seasons. Um, he's a player who certainly brings an offensive pedigree to the table, uh, and it's an interesting one as well. We can dive into some more of the numbers later on, but he's a pretty unique player in today's day and age, uh, generally well-respected in the clubhouse as well, um, and not a guy that I think uh, when you say – largest free agent contract in team history that brings connotations of it being uh, a, the guy that you wanted from the start and you gave him all the money and got him or B the guy that's going to be the best player on the team next year. Um, I don't think either of those are true for Mike Moustakas and that's fine because I still think a, the bar was set pretty low for how much money they were going to have to give out to break that record. Uh, and I do think he's a guy who still fits in pretty well as one of the better, but not necessarily the best players on this roster. Um, Grimey, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah. Um, I think so. As far as Mike Moustakas goes, like, I mean, I, I'd kind of kick that name around. I think a conversation with you guys either on the website or in Slack or whatever, but it was it was that it was kind of like, well, you know, hell yeah, like go get that guy, like go get Grandal, go get Didi, and then like in February when Mike Mustakas is still hanging around because he it always is <laughs> every February, right? Like I don't know, toss him 20, 20 million bucks right. and he can play, you know, he can play the position. That's fine. Um, I did not expect him to get you know sixty four million dollars and be the first signing, like you said. Um, that being said, the way I look at it is. He's kind of, offensively. I think you could kind of plug him in 
as and I don't want to say guarantee, but pretty much count on the offense that you thought you were going to get from Scooter Jeanette in 2019 or the offense that you did get from Scooter Jeanette in 17 and 18, except for he's done it for five years. Like if he does it this year, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, that's what we would expect. Whereas with Scooter, we were kind of all wondering like, well, at first we were all expecting him to pumpkin. And then the second year we were kind of wondering if he was actually going to, and of course he got hurt and that's terrible for him, especially with the contract situation and everything. But Essentially, I think Moustakas is basically that or better offensively, except for he has a longer track record. So that's great. And on the other hand, I don't see how he could be any worse defensively than Scooter Jeanette was. Um, we, we watched Scooter right. Jeanette while he popped the ball around the, around the infield for two years. And while it, especially in contrast back in 2017, what we had kind of been used to with, with Zach Cozart and Brandon Phillips up the middle for so many years, Watching that defense was kind of bad, but I don't, I, I can't point to a, a game or a series and be like, oh yeah, Scooter Jeanette's second base defense like cost us that series or, or whatever, you know. They can hide it with the, the all the shifts, like you guys mentioned. Um, he'll be fine out there for the foreseeable future. Now, four years from now, <laughs> you know, it might start getting a little dicey. I mean, even two years from now, it might be good, but we're talking about 2020. This deal makes the Reds better for 2020. It's a bigger contract than I would have liked or that I would have expected. But, I mean, I I don't care. It's not my money, and they have the money to spend, so go spend it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am as well. And a, a couple notes about uh, Moustakas as well. Um, last year was the first year he'd spent an entire season on a National League ball club. He'd always been in the AL. He'd always been in a ballpark, um, not just a ballpark in Kansas City, but uh, a division where he played in a lot of ballparks that weren't necessarily conducive to a lot of power hitting. Uh, Detroit's not very hitter-friendly. Cleveland, for most of the season, is not necessarily uh, hitter-friendly. Um, you look up at where he was – uh, on August 26th of last year, um, in 121 games, he'd hit 31 home runs. Uh, he was hitting 263, 334 on base percentage, the highest walk rate of his career, and an 862 OPS. Um, he took a grounder off the wrist in that game, uh, missed a couple ga- days, and hit 186 over about 21 games to finish the season. Um, but he was well on his way to having an absolute career year last year before uh, that kind of uh, fluke injury. Uh, not to say that he's ever going to not have fluke injuries. That's just what happens in the game of baseball. Um, but you look up at where his numbers could have finished had he not done that last year. Um, and last season would have looked even more impressive than it did even in its own right. Um, he's a guy who I, I also last year, I think of the 139 players in Major League Baseball that had at least 500 plate appearances. Um, he had the 10th highest uh, fly ball percentage. And some of the names of the very few, all of the nine guys that were ahead of him uh, in higher fly ball percentage, it was Mike Trout, Alex Bregman, Anthony Rendon. All of those guys are in that nine-person group. Uh, meaning what? The best players and the best hitters in baseball today are the guys that have found ways to put the ball in the air, 
Um, and Moustakas does it uh, among the absolute best in all of the baseball. You put that in Great American Ballpark as his home ballpark for 81 games, um, and suddenly you're looking at a guy who has immense power. I mentioned earlier, hit 38 home runs with uh, in 2015 with uh, Kauffman Stadium as his home park. Um, he's also a guy who doesn't strike out, and that's the odd part about him because so much of what you see in today's modern game is guys selling out for power, swinging for the fences, and strikeouts of spike just as much as home runs have. Um, he struck out, what, right at 100 times last year? It is the first time since 2012 he'd actually struck out more than 100 times in a season. So you're talking about a guy who's got prolific power but also doesn't swing and miss that often. Um, yeah, he swings at a few more pitches than he probably should, but when he does, he puts them in the air. And if there's not a better ballpark in baseball that is more suited uh, for, I think, his batting profile than what Great American Ballpark provides. And um, when you kind of roll all that together, you give him one healthy season. And the idea of him hitting 40 home runs next year um, suddenly becomes a pretty realistic thing to expect uh, as far as I'm concerned. And so uh, I feel like the Reds might have paid – expecting that to happen and paid more for it than what his track record would have suggested they should have paid. But the fact of the matter is it's what it took to get him to say yes. And I applaud the Reds for doing that. It makes sense. He did. Didn't he spend two years ago? He didn't take a, didn't take his, um, qualifying offer. Yeah. The qualifying offer. And then he ended up making $6 million instead of whatever the qualifying offer would be. And then last year, I think he played for like seven and a half million. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy took two of his prime free agent years and didn't make jack for what he probably should have made because of whatever's happening in baseball. And he just signed a sixty million dollar deal. He's probably jumping up and down over it. Yeah, I would. I would say so. And you look at uh, um, you know some of the free agent classes of the last two years and some of the guys he was kind of second fiddle to. Um, you know, it, teams that were looking for third base options. Manny Machado signed for three hundred million dollars. Josh Donaldson was out there as well. Um, it, it's one of those scenarios where uh, you really kind of wonder. Um, uh, how much it cost him in that actual dollar amount value, um, but also how just 40 games at second base last year just proved that he can still be a little bit more versatile than he had proven before that, and suddenly he's getting $60 million to play second base for the Reds as opposed to being uh, pigeonholed behind a couple of the guys as third base options. Um the interesting part, I think, about this as well is that, yeah, he's making $16 bucks, but uh, the news of the day yesterday came out at the same time that we found out that um, Kevin Gosman was non-tendered, uh, so he wasn't going to get the uh, prospective $10.6 million that he was going to be owed in his arbitration year. Jose Peraza was also non-tendered as well. His estimate was $3.6 million. So on top of what they paid for second base last year versus what they're paying for second base with Moustakas, um, that's $14.2 million that they basically slashed off the payroll for this year as well. So uh, even though they announced the big signing, when you look at just 2020 payroll uh, in itself, in an isolated case, uh, it didn't really do a whole lot to to necessarily ramp up the payroll spending. Um, and instead of you know a guy that was going to be possibly their third or fourth best reliever and their utility infielder, they got a guy they plan on starting and getting six in our plate appearances as their second baseman. Um, I think it's a pretty interesting string of moves. Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess we can kind of pivot here a minute, what are your thoughts on losing Kevin Gosman and Jose Peraza to free agency now that the Reds have non-tendered uh, them? And are there any other aspects about the non-tender deadline that really kind of stood out to you? Um, Grimey, how about you go first? Yeah, this time? I mean – for anybody that reads the site, um, I think it's. I think I've been one of the 
bigger Jose Peraza, I won't say defenders, but maybe fans or believers than a lot of other people in Reds country. Um, so, I I mean, on the one hand, it kind of seems, it, or it, it sucks to see him go, especially realizing that he's still only 26 years old. Um, and he, you know, he was at one time such a highly rated prospect. And I don't know, like, I just, it was a guy that was, in my opinion, he was a guy that was easy to root for. Um, for whatever reason, I feel like a lot of Reds country doesn't feel the same way that I feel about that. But so on the one hand, kind of sentimentally, and I was the same way about Cozart for whatever reason. So sentimentally, it's kind of weird. It's kind of sucks to see him go. On the other hand, as far as the product that they're going to put out on the field um, after his, we'll, we'll call it the three full seasons that he had here, um, it probably doesn't move the needle one way or the other. I mean, I, I, I kind of hope it's one of those things as a Reds fan, like I hope he doesn't go somewhere else and just tear the cover off of the ball. But you know, personally, I kind of, I kind of hope he does just for him, you know? Um, but, but, you know, for the yeah. baseball product, I don't think it does much for the Reds. I mean, it's, it's just, it's hard to count, especially because he was a super two guy, right? I mean, isn't that why he's making as much? Yeah. Or yeah. Potentially yeah, going mean. to make as much as, as he was going to make. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, I don't think the Reds are, even if he does go out and, and is a three or four war player for a couple of years for, you know, Tampa Bay or something like I don't know if the Reds are going to be like, oh, man, we really, you know, like, they'll be fine. Um, Gossman was always interesting. I mean, I, I think one of the first podcasts we did this summer was, or one of the ones, first ones I did this summer was about Gossman. And he was interesting from the start, from the time they picked him up. But $10 million is a lot to ask for the role that he was probably going to be asked to play. So I get that. Um, it would have been interesting to see if they could have come to terms with him, like giving him $10 million over two years or something. But uh I don't blame him for wanting to go out there and see what he can do, you know? So, I mean, maybe he still comes back. I mean, there's still a possibility. He knows the Reds. He knows, you know, the front office or whatever. So there's a chance that, you know, they could still grab him up on a – and, you know, put him in the bullpen and see what he could do. But uh, they still – they have work to do on their bullpen. So it would have been nice to have that in-house option. Um, but $10 million is pretty steep to pay for it. So um, I think – Right, it, it, right. I, I think he's an interesting guy, and I think it would have been really interesting to see how 2020 played out for him as a Red, but I understand why they wouldn't want to do it for $10 million. For sure. Aaron, what do you think? Um, I, I agree mostly almost 100% with Grimey. I was one of the people that, you know, apologist basically for Peraza, I suppose, saying, you know, young guy, he's going to figure it out. He doesn't strike out much. You know, he can play all these positions and he doesn't, I guess, doesn't necessarily play them well, well, but, you know, he's, he's good at them. But, I mean, we saw, I think, I think we saw his peak in 2018. And while that was good, that's not otherworldly. And if he never, doesn't ever figure out how to take walks at a stable, consistent pace like he did in that year, he's not going to be a regular player and you shouldn't be paying him real money. Um, at that case, I mean, he's, he's worse than replacement. You can, you can, if you need a defender, you can call one up from, triple a you can call up an alex blandino and he's probably going to give you equal value what jose peraza did for three million dollars less so hopefully he goes somewhere figures it out that kind of stuff he would be a guy that i don't look to bring back at less just because he's been in the organization for so long i would say that he needs to go find greener pastures and see if he can get the reps that are going to help him out because cincinnati shouldn't give it to him um gossman ten million dollars too much um 
I don't know if he's really the bullpen piece. I think it's interesting to find out. If he wanted to come back for 4 or $5 million kind of thing, I think that would be interesting. But, yeah, you don't bring it back a guy like that for $10 million, not at all. Yeah. You put that money elsewhere. I mean, that's that's the money you gave Mustakas. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, Gosman, I, I think is he's one of those guys who obviously is a former first round pick and a guy who's had a pretty solid success um, in his career at times being a starter, uh, specifically pitching in Baltimore, which is an extreme hitters ballpark and pitching in the AL East against, you know, the stacked lineups of the Red Sox and the Yankees so often. He still had some pretty reasonably good career numbers. He's still young enough where I think he probably thinks he can still be a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. Um, and you look up at some of the big contracts that have been doled out to guys in recent history. Um, you know, Patrick Corbin basically parlayed one really, really, really good season into $140 million. Uh, Zach Wheeler struggled mightily for much of his career, put together about a season and a half of really good ball um, the last year and a half, and he's staring at $100 million as well. I think Kevin Gosman realizes that you know, yeah, he probably could have uh, – I'm guessing the Reds were negotiating with him potentially to stick around for a couple of years and maybe be a reliever and a swingman kind of guy. He probably bets on himself and says, all it takes is give me one year, whether it's in Detroit, whether it's in Miami, wherever the hell it is. I'm going to go eat up innings and I'm going to show how good I can be as a starter. And that probably is a better long-term financial plan for me if I bet on myself, stay healthy, um, and get a chance to kind of uh, reclaim my form. Um, that's a better bet long-term than just taking the the, the small-scale security of moving to the bullpen full-time. And I can't really blame him for that, given how there are a couple other comparables that have turned that into a very lucrative uh, few few years in recent past. Um Peraza, on the other hand, he's a guy that, you know, I, I advocated even with his struggles at three and whatever million bucks that the Reds should keep around. Um, two reasons behind that. One, as we mentioned, he's still just 25. It'll be 26 in April of next year. Um, his 2018 season was a good one. It wasn't a great one, but it was a good one and showed you the kind of skills he had. For me, what I was worried about, and this is one thing that it, I think – I can come around on a little bit more the more I think about it. Uh, you look at what the Reds have in terms of shortstop options, uh, not just at the big league level, but behind the big league level. Um, they've got Freddie Galvis for one year, uh, who just put up another uh, on-base percentage season that starts with two. Um, obviously a brilliant defender and had a career on home runs this year, but not exactly a guy who screams current star or future star. Um, behind them, though, you've got what? You've got Alex Blandino, who's I think can probably cover shortstop okay, but isn't necessarily the best defensive shortstop out there. Uh, coming off a wrecked knee, and uh, you know obviously doesn't have a whole lot of experience there because he's played mostly second and third in the minors. Um, and then Kyle Farmer, who's a catcher and a first baseman and an, a utility guy, um, but there's not really a whole lot else there. You've got Jose Garcia, who just played an advanced A ball, who's probably at least two years away. Uh, Jonathan India, for a time, people talked about maybe he could play shortstop, but the Reds and, and the affiliates he's played for really haven't given that a sniff out there. Um, there's really just not a whole lot of shortstop depth in the Cincinnati system. And for a guy like Peraza, I almost thought it was maybe worth – three-ish million bucks with three years of team control just to keep him around in the uh, as an insurance plan because there's really not a whole lot else to turn to there. That said, the Reds can still address shortstop from outside the organization, and that's where I think 
what we saw yesterday is almost one of those kind of those those arrows of the offseason where you see a move and think, okay, that's just the first uh, in a series of moves because they're going to have to find a way to rectify that down the road. And that's the one thing that I think I'm going to be watching significantly um, uh, from here on out. Especially when you factor in that, you know, obviously Jose Iglesias is a brilliant glove at shortstop. And so the idea that Freddie Galvis was playing second base down the stretch uh, makes a little bit of sense in that regard. But Galvis has never really played second base. Um, and now suddenly they're going to move him back to shortstop and say, oh, yep, he's our guy when he wasn't even that guy last year. It almost makes me think that they've got eyes on bringing in uh, some shortstop reinforcements in one form or fashion. Uh, and that's the one thing that I'm kind of looking for in this because they didn't just cut ties on the guy this year. They cut ties with the guy they could have had around for three years to help cover that spot. Uh, and that's the one thing I'm going to be watching significantly as the rest of this hot stove season develops. I think that's um, an interesting point, though, because uh, the, the estimated are – Arbitration number was like what three point six million or something like that, right? For Peraza, I mean they paid mm-hmm. Jose Iglesias what two last year. So yeah, I mean I, that's a good point because they could always do they could go that route, and I don't mean well they could still go with Jose Iglesias as far as that goes um, if they want to bring him back into the fold for a couple of years or whatever. But I mean I think that's a good point that I, I guess I didn't really um, hadn't really bounced around in my head all that much, but. Because they could go that route again. They could pick up somebody that was non-tendered and give him a spring training invite, and maybe he makes the team, and then it's $2 million. And, okay, that's great. But they just gave up a guy that was only going to make about $3 million, a little over $3 million, that they would have had control over for three years. So, I mean, that's an interesting point uh, for Peraza. Again, I don't think it changes. It doesn't change my mind if they're going to really look back on this in five years and be like, damn, I wish we would have kept him. But, you know, it's. Well, I think it, I think it more reinforces mine. I mean, it, we're talk, I mean, it's penny pinching, but the Reds are going to have a set budget number. I mean, there's going to be a number that they're going to come to. No, oh, yeah, for and sure. If they can, if they, if they, if they tender Peraza, that's three and a half million dollars <throat> that they're going to have to pay regardless. And then if he's not the guy or not good enough to be on on the roster, they're going to keep him at AAA. They're going to what you're going to spend money somewhere else to, to bring that in. That could be potentially another $3 million that, I mean, I don't, I just don't like the idea of Peraza rotting on the bench kind of thing that he's never, I mean, he's 25 years old. He's never going to get any better. They'd be doing him a disservice. They'd be doing the team a disservice. I'd rather. It's not really a role that he, yeah, that's not really a role. I'll just real quick. It's not a role that he's ever really excelled in either. Like Peraza seems to get, and you know, relative or uh, better is a relative term, but he seems to get better the more at bats that he gets. So, him sitting on the bench as a twenty fourth or twenty fifth guy, and then you try to put him out there, it doesn't seem like that would really work out either. You know, uh, and he's not a pinch hitter. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent not. And uh, he's a guy that, that gets better when he plays, and when he doesn't play, it, you can see that it's not. Not his best spot to be in. Um, for me, it's it's interesting also because it's it, you know it's a turn the page moment for uh, the Reds from the 2015-2016 era of trades when you know they tried to trade for him twice. Initially, the the Rolls Chapman deal with the Dodgers that fell through, uh, where he was supposed to be a major part of it, um, and then eventually they traded Todd Frazier and got him in that deal as well. Um, he's a guy who is a a low power, uh, non walking, high contact. Uh, speed and contact guy and not only did they technically replace him at shortstop 
from where he started the season. You know, going into last year, he was supposed to be the starting shortstop. Right now, it looks like the starting shortstop is Freddie Galvis. He ended up getting shifted over to second base when Scooter got hurt. Now you look up at the starting second baseman going to next year. It's Mike Mustakas. Um, they went from a guy who is speed, contact, uh, low walk, low pitch count to two guys who excel at hitting the ball in the air and hitting home runs. And that's just kind of where baseball has gone. You know, Galvis did it last year better than he ever has before. Mustakas has made a career out of it. Um, it seems to me like it's almost an organizational um, shift in philosophy as much as it is about the money because – Let's face it. They got two guys that are going to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark on every swing. Whereas with Peraza, that was 100% not what he tried to do at all. And um, it's interesting to see them kind of tilt towards that, considering that's pretty much what baseball has become the last couple of years. Well, it's not just that. I mean, we traded, they traded for Peraza, what, four years ago? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have, it's been a front office shift since then. I mean, Walt Jockety made that trade. Yep. And he's still sucking down Dr. Pepper and green beans up in the press box, but he's not, he's not making the moves. I mean, they have a president of baseball operations who wasn't even the GM when they made that trade, I don't think. Yeah, you're right. That's right. That's absolutely I mean, right. Mostly, they probably sat on their hands, and Walt Jockey said, I want this slap-hitting guy that can hit 300. Yeah, he doesn't walk. Who cares? But he'll steal 30 bases. He'll slap the ball around the field. He can play three positions. You know, that's a Walt Jockety ideal leadoff man. Yes, it is. Do the one time. <laughs> I mean, that's like right up his alley. I mean, he's he, he might as well just called Peraza, you know, David <laughs> Eckstein or something. Well, well it, I mean, and really, as far as going going back to turning the page or whatever, it kind of it, it turns not only turns the page on the Reds era, but like it turns the page on potentially on that the Reds building that way on that baseball era in general, because when they got him, I mean, Peraza would have been, had Peraza been all older, obviously like he would have been perfectly built for that Kansas city team that won the world that went to two world series and won one that Mike, that Mike Moustakas was on. Right. Oh, hell I mean, yes. They, that's, yeah. how they, that's how they won baseball. Oh, wait, games, I'm just putting the ball in play. Contact, oh, I'm, contact doubles yeah. and steals. Yeah. I'm just scarily looking at David Eckstein's, BB ref page right now too and like that was way too apt to what I just said. <laughs> yeah don't do that to yourself I what David Eckstein you know walked 40 times a year and had like 300 plus on base percentages but other than that like Jose Peraza is David Eckstein oh good lord like maybe they're like yeah he'll walk 30 40 times a year like this is just an anomaly he'll figure it out but no they're the same person like identically the same person statistically and it's just stupid i looked it up and i'm like well i mean he walked but eh, no that's no it's the same (laughs) i think um i think the other aspect of this that that's uh it's not gone unreported but it uh it's kind of been overlooked is that um you know nick senzel was uh, the number as high as the number six overall prospect in baseball by some uh uh, publications last year universal top 10 prospect had never once played an inning in uh, as a professional center fielder before uh, starting last season and pretty much being told you're the center fielder. Um, now you've got Eugenio Suarez entrenched for years at third base. You've got Mike Bostakis entrenched for years at second base. Um, Nick Senzel is coming off major shoulder surgery uh, that ended his year last year. Um it's pretty clear that he's the center fielder now. And that's something that I think I'm okay with given on the limited uh, amount of time we got to see him out there last year. He's clearly a plus athlete 
Uh, it clearly has enough speed to play out there. It clearly has an arm, assuming his shoulder is fine, uh, that can be in a very good one from center field. Um, this this is it, it's not a an unimportant part of this entire series of transactions because uh, the concept was heading into this winter, uh, let's hope Nixon Zell is ready to start the season next year. But who knows with that shoulder, maybe they might need to move him to second base because he can't make the throws that he otherwise would. Um, to me, this sounds a pretty clear alarm that a, they're committed to having him be the center fielder for not just next year, but for the foreseeable future. And B, I think it, shows to me that they think he's healthy enough to be that guy uh, uh, going into 2020, which is good because you look at the free agent market out there and there are no good center fielders out there that the Reds can just go sign. Um, what are your thoughts on how that means uh, Senzel fits into this 2020 Reds team that uh, you're hoping can finally make a playoff push again? Um, Aaron, how about you go first? Um, obviously, I love Nick Senzel. He's my dude. He's your dude. Um, yeah, you know, I was the guy screaming from the beginning to draft him. I think Nick, Nick Senzel is going to be a fantastic player. I think, you know, first year, whatever, didn't work out the way it wanted to. He did show he could play center field and play center field pretty well. Um, not only that, he's got a gun out there. But um, I'm actually – the biggest thing about Nick Senzel, and I, I hate the critique of it, is obviously, you know, it comes down to the injuries thing. And as soon as you started to talk about this, I, I thought about a guy I read about on Wikipedia. So you might need to settle in for a, you know a bit of a story. Um, <laughs> I'm here for it because I, I freaking love this guy. I mean, it, this is the biggest sense of irony that I'm probably using wrong in my you know and I use wrong my entire life. There's a man by the name of Roy Sullivan. Um, he was a national park ranger in Shenandoah National Park in Virginia. He got struck by lightning seven times in his life. <laughs> Seven. Well, to, to the point that he thought God hated him and was chasing him and like trying to like kill him, like ran away from thunderstorms. He got struck he by lightning really, four times and then got struck by lightning three more times. <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah, with, all within like a thirty-year period. There was one time I got to find it. He um, lightning hit the top of his head, set his hair on fire, traveled down and burned his chest and stomach. Sullivan turned to his car when something unexpected occurred. A bear approached the pond and tried to steal a trout from his fishing line. Sullivan had the strength and courage to strike the bear with a tree branch. He claimed that this 22nd time, with the 22nd time he hit a bear with a stick in his lifetime. So it's the 20th time he's beat off a bear with a stick, and I should have phrased that better. But <laughs> got struck by a lightning seven times. And you want to know how this guy died? How did he die? He shot himself in his bed with his wife by, by his side. Oh, God. <laughs> so the entire point, reason why I'm telling this story is that Nick Senzel's entire baseball career up to this point is Nick Senzel's an awesome guy. He's, you know, all great at all these baseball things, and he's playing all these different positions, and he's just a freak athlete. But the dude's got vertigo and migraines and allergies that they don't know what's going on. And then his, his thing in his shoulder explodes. He didn't need surgery, but that still doesn't sound good. So Nick Senzel is going to be playing center field, but like, could we be more worried about anybody else that's playing on the team right now if he's actually going to be able to play an entire season? Uh, unfortunately, you could because Jesse Winker has been almost a snake bit by injuries as well, and that's who the Reds are leaning on in left field. I, your point's incredibly well taken, which is you got to count on the guy because you have to and because he's that good when he is that healthy. Uh, but you've got two-thirds of the outfield in Winker and Senzel that's penciled in to start every single day or most every single day that are coming off major shoulder injuries and have – 
three years in a row where basically their seasons have been cut short because they've gotten hurt. Um, and you pair that with the fact that you've got Aristides Aquino um, as your everyday right fielder penciled in. Uh, and he's a guy that you thought so highly of that you designated him for assignment, uh, what, 14 months ago? Um, before he finally burst his way back onto the lineup as well. So, um, you know, we talk about the fact that the Reds still have space in their payroll to go out and get another big bat and an impact offensive player. Um, and the fact that uh, they kick around the idea of the outfield as that spot to be, uh, it, it prompts a little bit of response from a lot of people because they're like, no, we got Winker and Senzel and Aquino. Yeah. You had Winker and Senzel and Aquino last year, and look who else played in the outfield because they had to. Matt Kemp, Yasiel Puig, Scott Shedler, Derek Dietrich, Josh Van Meter, Jose Peraza, Brian O'Grady, Phil Irvin, all those guys, all those guys got time in the outfield because you have to have more than three outfielders. You've got to have five. you got to have four really good ones and preferably five really good ones and find a way to make that work. Um it's one of those things where uh, uh, I love the fact that they're willing to basically say, look, Nick Senzel, stop worrying about where things are going to go. Center field, do that, be that. That's that's your spot, be that guy. But I still think they need to go out there and find a way to find reinforcements, whether it's uh, a guy who profiles as a corner outfielder who can also cover center field or just as a center fielder who has a good enough bat to where he can also – fit in offensively at a corner outfield spot. They've got to find somebody else to help be part of that rotation. And I think that's what uh, they've left themselves in payroll space to be able to go do. Uh, it's just going to be really, really interesting to see who it is they kind of target to go do that. Yeah. My, uh, my thing about um, Senzel and center, it's not so much, I mean, all things being equal and, and let's just assume that he comes back and he's fine from the shoulder injury which i think he did have to have uh, surgery on um uh back in september i think um which you know it is what it is but all things being equal like i don't there's no doubt in my mind that nick Senzel can play center field and there's no doubt in my mind that he'll he would get better at it as he played it i mean he's a good enough athlete to play it but it kind of goes back to what you guys are talking about, especially with somebody from everything I've read about Nick Senzel, from everything I've heard Nick Senzel say, that dude plays baseball like his life depends on it. And and that's right. great to have as a center fielder. That's great to have. I mean, that's, that's exactly what you want. But when we're talking about injuries, we're talking about, you know, like he's going to go balls into the wall literally you know what i mean like and so the only thing that i was kind of like if they were to bring him back as a second baseman you know at least he doesn't have things to run into he's still gonna go balls to the walls he's still gonna dial all over the place but at least he doesn't have things to run into people to run into you know what i mean like that's because you you know you get hurt that way and it's not not there's nothing on him and he shouldn't dial it back because of that i'm just saying like that's the only thing that worries me about him out there yeah, and I mean, we, we talk about all of these moves that have been made. Uh, I think that what it comes back to for me in looking at potential moves as well, um, David Bell's the guy who adores versatility. He adores being able to have a full roster where he can mix and match and double switch and pinch hit and do all of those things. And the more ways guys can impact games, the better as far as he's concerned. Um 
obviously with Moustakas, you've got a guy who can play second base and third base and has proven it. I wouldn't be at all shocked if you begin to see him start get time at first base to spell Joey Votto here and there, whatever. Um, uh, the idea that Sinzel is still wedded to center field, I think it's one that's a good one to make sure he gets enough reps out there to be good. But I also would not hate the idea of him splitting time in center field and, and second base either. Um, you start looking up at other other guys that the Reds could target to try to bring in uh, to help complement that entire idea. And he's not the biggest mauler in the world. I think they kind of took that out of no. uh, necessity by bringing in a guy like Moustakas who can hit a lot of home runs. Uh, but I keep coming back to who we landed on the uh, in the, the SB Nation simulation a couple weeks ago. Uh, Whit Merrifield, uh, a guy who plays for the Kansas City Royals who are going nowhere who is on an extremely team-friendly contract and plays everywhere. He could be your starting second baseman. He's played a ton of center field. He can play the corner outfield spots. Um, and is a guy on such a cheap contract that, yes, it would take a lot of prospects, good prospects, to land him in a trade, but is also the guy who basically builds in insurance at every single position across the diamond, which when you've got a, uh, an entire diamond that is versatile in and of itself – seems like that kind of player that would fit perfectly on the way the Reds have set this roster up. And so I'm interested to see whether the Reds pivot into trades because of the big splash they made in, in free agency uh, and where he kind of ranks on their, uh, their trade target list, because he's a guy that I think both budget wise would allow them to spend more money on the bullpen. Um, and also uh, uh Roster-wise, going forward for the next what I think four seasons um, would give them cover at every position where they might need some cover, while also basically guaranteeing he could still get six hundred plate appearances a year. So, um, in the wake of the Mustaka signing, that's that's kind of where I'm looking now is to figure out how they can find a guy that still fits while allowing everybody else to continue to get the amount of playing time that it looks like they should deserve. Yeah. Hey, so um, we're at. Uh almost 41 minutes uh aaron dropped out here like i can still see him in the room here but he can't hear or see us um but no, that's i don't want him he shouldn't reload his browser though right because he we might lose his track or yeah. can he reload his we uh i would say don't reload your browser um i would say let's just okay. wrap this probably pretty quickly and i'll see if we can't go ahead and edit this down because we do have 41 minutes of good stuff and probably that's right about where we try to keep it so right. um i don't know if you've got any further thoughts on um uh no my last thing would be uh just to get off on uh, what you were talking about there uh with uh, whit merrifield is um because i think it's also interesting and as far as trading the prospects um we talked about these moves kind of pigeonholing um nick senzel in the center field but it also really completely blocks jonathan india for the next four years um i mean he's not going to be taking over in the foreseeable future for anybody in the infield and i think they've kind of decided that he can't or shouldn't play shortstop they pretty much stopped that altogether um back in 2018 right. so i mean it's not to say that he couldn't play a corner outfield spot in the big leagues, but if if we're talking about a guy that you know can play second, can play third, he's not playing second or third here for the, at least the next three years, right? So he's firmly on the market, and he's a top one hundred guy. I mean, you know, uh, top prospect. He's a he's a guy that. He's a guy that, in theory, the Reds were willing to trade to get JT Realmuto last year as well. So the idea that 
the Reds are willing to move on from him or use him to get somebody better uh, for now is not terribly outlandish. Right, I think it's a good starting point for the Reds talking to the Royals, right? Um, this is a guy, I mean, they're pretty deep into a rebuild as far as I don't know that they're going to be competing in the next two years and, and India probably should be up within the next two years, but you still got him for six or seven years after that. Right. So, um, I mean, it still right. fits their timeline. Right. So that would be the, the last thing I would want to say, just because I think it's interesting how he fits into this now, just because the, in, I mean, the infield is pretty much locked in for four years. I mean, three, you know, two and a half, two and a half, three, especially, I mean, you can start trading guys off in the last year there in that fourth year. Right. But, but it's pretty much locked in, except for shortstop. If they don't think he can play shortstop, which I don't think they think he can, or he would have been playing shortstop, because uh, we've already covered how they don't really have any in-house shortstops, right? Uh, I, I think, right, right. No, I think it's, that's, I think that's that the case. I think that firmly on the trade block. Yep. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how the Reds kind of pivot with that. Obviously, they've got umpteen options they can chase uh, from here on out, but it certainly does seem like uh, the idea of trading him, yes, it would deplete the farm system and take another top prospect out of the system, but it's also like they've backfilled that already. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be watching the heck out of that and see whether or not he becomes um, the the next big first-round draft pick the Reds used to. Uh, go augment their ability to make the playoffs. They did it with Yonder Alonso. They did it with Yasmany Grandal years ago. Um, it's one of those things where uh, they did it with Taylor Trammell last year. So uh, maybe maybe he's the next yeah, one to go. I just feel like so. they're kind of in that same 2008 through 2011 time frame. You know, as far, they haven't won a division yet, right? But it seems with the moves they're making, like they're kind of heading for that. Okay. Like we're going to spend this money and now we're going to trade these guys to get there, you know, for the next two or three years. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, well, good stuff. Um, Thank you, Aaron, even though you can't hear me right now because you dropped off our podcast. Uh, Thank you, Grammy, for joining me as well. Um, You can find us at redreporter.com. You can uh, obviously find us on iTunes and, uh, oh God, not Spotify yet, but SoundCloud and everywhere else you can find podcasts. We are the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, on Twitter, we are at Red Reporter. Um, check out our stuff. We're going to continue to cover uh, this active Reds offseason, all hot stove season. Um, and obviously the winter meetings are coming up. They're just a week away. And I think you're going to see continued action on the Reds front there as well. So uh, with that in mind, we'll go ahead and wrap this episode. But uh, yeah, the Reds made their first big splash and it looks like there's more in the pipeline. So for Aaron, for Grimey, I'm Wick. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next week.